So what do you do when you're struggling? What do you do when you're struggling? When nothing makes sense? When nothing seems to be working out right? When work is stressful? When school is overwhelming? When your spouse is unloving? When your kids are uncontrollable? When your parents are unsupportive, when your health is unhealthy, in all the the different moments of struggle in life, where do you turn? What do you believe in? What do you hang on to? Those aren't small questions. In fact, the very nature of those questions leads us to the reality that the answer has to be more than family. It's got to be more than friends. It's got to be more than food or finances and and fitness. It's got to be more than just a better society. It's got to be more than just better stocks or better science. Why? Because the best of those people and the, the best of those things cannot be with us all the time, everywhere, no matter what. And even if they could be with us in that way, they, they still can't get inside of our hearts and our minds and our souls to give us the mental, spiritual, and emotional comfort, confidence, and calm that we are longing for the most. In other words, when it comes to the deepest struggles of life, it takes more than a village. So what does it take? What does it take when it comes to the deepest struggles of life? Well, we continue our series, Together for Good, where we are looking at what it means to be a part of a healthy local church. And and why does that matter? Why does it matter that we're a part of a healthy local church? Well, Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So being engaged with a healthy local church is extremely valuable. It's not a a small thing. It has great value. In a world full of bad, we are striving to be together for good, for the good of the gospel. And it's in gospel life that we find what we need the most, especially perspective and direction when we are struggling with purpose and destiny. Today we're going to be looking in the Bible at the book of Daniel, chapter 4. The sermon title today is Together for God's Sovereignty. That's what it takes. That, that's it. When it comes to the perspective and the direction we need, when we find ourselves in the deepest struggles of life, what we need most is a holy, healthy, humble, happy embracing of the sovereignty of God. Well, what does that mean? Let's see if we can find out. Daniel chapter 4, beginning with verse 34, it says this, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Now, that's a declaration about the one true God. And who's making the declaration? Who's the one talking here? Well, that's an interesting story. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar became the king of Babylon. 
And about 18 years after he became king, he destroyed Jerusalem and he took prisoners. And one of the prisoners that he took is the author of the book that we're looking at, Daniel. It's a young man named Daniel, and he took him prisoner. And about five years after Daniel was taken prisoner, King Nebuchadnezzar was on the roof of his grand palace, and he was hanging out, talking to himself, looking out over his kingdom, and this is what he said. Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. And the Bible says that immediately a voice from heaven came and said this, your sovereignty has been removed. In a moment, all of his power, all of his control, all of his kingdom, gone, removed. And the voice went on to say this, and not only are you going to lose your power, but you're going to be driven away from your palace. You're going to be driven out in the wilderness. You're going to live like a wild animal, and you're going to live an insane life, like you're going to be filled with insanity. And that's exactly what happened. The king was driven away from his grand palace. He was driven out into the wilderness. Out in the wilderness, he was eating grass like he was a cow. His hair was no longer regal and flowing. It was, it was like the matted feathers of an eagle. And his fingernails and his toenails, they grew so long that he looked like he had the, the claws of a hawk. And, and we believe, according to the scriptures, that this lasted for about seven years. Just this, this insane life, this insanity, mental and, and even physical. He thought he was the mighty sovereign one of the world, but God let him know there's only one sovereign one. There's only one who is truly sovereign forever and ever. And in the providence of God, just as, as quickly as he was driven out, he suddenly came to his senses. He suddenly woke up from this insane nightmare that was actually a reality. And what was the very first thing that the king did? Well, the very first thing he did was look up and he made a declaration. And what was the declaration? Verse 34, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he woke up and he looked up and he acknowledged who God was. There was no confusion. He knew who he was, and he knew who God was. He knew that Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the one true God, was the only one that had everlasting dominion. There was no confusion. He discovered in a, in a moment and over the course of seven years that, that he did not have dominion, that he was not sovereign, that there is no king and no queen and no president and no dictator and no nation and no country that has everlasting dominion. Only God, only the kingdom of God and only his son Jesus who will reign forever and ever and ever. Now that's not just a history lesson. That's a real life lesson. And someone said, if we can learn that lesson, it's a good thing. But if we don't learn that lesson, we'll perish. 
Meaning if we can embrace and understand that only the one true God has dominion forever and ever and ever, we won't perish. In fact, the opposite will happen. If we can learn that lesson, we will be ushered into the greatest joys in the universe. And that's why we as a church, we want to be together for the good of the sovereignty of God. We want to be a group of people who have a holy, healthy, humble, happy, embracing of God's sovereignty because it will change who we are inside and outside the life of this church. Embracing the sovereignty of God sounds like a great thing, but I mean, what does it mean? Listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar says next. Verse 34. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. In other words, there's never been a king, there's never been a queen, there's never been a president, there's never been a dictator, there's never been a nation, there's never been a country who had sovereignty from generation to generation to generation. It hasn't happened. In every single generation, God was always God and he was God alone. His dominion, his kingdom, his sovereignty is the only thing that has existed overall. His everlasting dominion has always been and it will always be and that's why we read dead people. That's why we don't just believe whatever we saw in our reels last night from nine until one in the morning, right? No, we we read dead people because the Christians who lived long before any of us were born, they have great things to say about the kingdom of God, the dominion of God, and that matters. And it matters because all of us throughout our life, we are so tempted We're so tempted to think that whoever happens to be in power at any given moment, that what they do and what they say lasts from generation to generation to generation. It does not. It does not. Only the dominion of our God is from generation to generation. And that's why we read books by Corey Ten Boom. It's why we read books by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and and others who endured the Nazi regime, who endured living under the most vile, or at least one of the most vile rulers that has ever been on earth. And we look at their unwavering confidence in Jesus Christ. When the world really was going to hell, they were confident in Jesus. Great unwavering confidence in Jesus and we listen to their words and we find the confidence that we need so that no matter who is in power at any given time, no matter what we may like or not like about them, there is not a single person or group of people who have dominion from generation to generation to generation, only Yahweh, only the Lord of hosts, only the one true God. Friend, that matters. And as Christians, it doesn't sound like we're living in that. It sounds like we live in fear of whatever is going on or in anger of whatever is going on. We listen to the words who have gone, those who have gone before us because they remind us that our God is God and there is no other. King Nebuchadnezzar, he learned that. 
He learned it loud and clear. Listen to what he goes on to say, verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are of no account, but God does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. In heaven, on earth, in Middle Earth, in Narnia, in Genovia, in the multiverse, wherever you can think of some type of kingdom, God and only God has always had dominion, period, exclamation point. There is no other God besides our God. The Lord reigns and he is robed in majesty forever. Forever. Now again, someone say, that, that sounds good, but what does it mean? I mean, those sound like, like really good points, but how does all that make God sovereign? King tells us, he lays it down in one phrase, verse 35, and no one can fend off his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one, not me, not you, not your parents, not your grandparents, not any elected official ever, not any pastor ever, not any atheist, no agnostic, no one anywhere past, present, or future can look at God and say, what have you done? I need to fend off your hand. Now, can we say to God, what have you done? Can we say, God, God what have you done? God, what are you doing? God, why didn't you stop this? God, why didn't you start this? God, why didn't you intervene? Sure. I mean, in our, our moments where we are completely overwhelmed, where our struggle is beyond our imagination, where the, where the darkness will not lift, yeah, we might ask questions like that. But, but don't forget what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, no one can fend off the hand of God. So yeah, you can ask God questions, but you can't coerce him. You can ask God questions, but, but you can't change him. And if we're honest, even just like on the surface of our heart, we, we kind of want to say, mm, I don't know, I, I don't like that. That, that doesn't feel right. It, it makes God sound mean and unloving. I mean, if he was a good God, He'd let me fend off his hand every now and then, right? I mean, if he was a good God, he'd, he'd listen to my thoughts, my ideas, my opinions. If he, if he was a, a good God, he'd be open to change. I mean, if he was a strong God, he, he could change things at any time. And if he was a, a loving God, surely he would change things to make them right, at least our version of right. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he thought like that too. And it drove him to insanity. And it wasn't until he came to his senses that he realized, oh, oh wait a minute. God is God and, and there is no other. And his dominion and his kingdom, they're the only ones that are everlasting. You know, King's story sounds a lot like that story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son, he was basically looking at his dad going, look, I don't like your way of doing things. I don't like your plans. I don't like how you do life. I got my own ideas. 
I got my own ways of how I want things done. I got my own opinion. So, you know what? I'm just going to just go and give me the money. I'm just going to take the money and run. That's, that's just what I'm going to do. And he did. And he, and he blew through all of his money. And he found himself literally in the, in the slop on a farm waiting for the pigs to finish eating so he could get their scraps. He was so desperate and so destitute. And when Jesus was telling the story, he said it was at that moment that he came to his senses. And he said, what in the world am I doing? My father is good. My father is loving. My father is just. And my father is right. He came to his senses and realized, oh, wait a minute. My father is everything I thought he wasn't. Everything I questioned was actually right. Charles Spurgeon said this, most men and women quarrel with God's sovereignty. But Mark, the thing you complain of in God is the very thing that you love in yourselves. Every man likes to feel that he has a right to do with his own as he pleases. We all like to be little sovereigns. He goes on, there is no doctrine that has more excited the hatred of mankind than the truth of the absolute sovereignty of God. But, he says, there is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. If God lights the candle, none can blow it out. Chew on that one. If God lights the candle... No king, no queen, no president, no dictator, no pastor, no nation, no country, no person will blow it out. It's God's candle. It will not be blown out. Now, why should that encourage a Christian? Well, it should encourage a Christian because it means that no one and nothing will ever stop our God. His dominion is everlasting. And that should do two things to us. It should terrify us. And it should also cause us to think, man, God is terrific. (laughs) Terrifying and terrific. Terrifying because it reminds us of how small all of us are in humanity. But it is also terrific because it reminds us of how great God is. The Lord reigns, and he is robed in majesty forever. If we can learn that lesson and not fight against it and not reject it, then we won't perish. In fact, the opposite will happen. We will begin to engage with the greatest joys in the universe. J.I. Packer said this, to know that nothing happens in God's world apart from God's will may frighten the godless. And I'll say this, not only will it frighten people who don't believe in God, it makes them angry, okay? But Packer said this, but it stabilizes the saints. Need some stability? You know, from politics or, or religion or health or the economy, whatever your pressure point is now. Need some relief? The divine, sovereign will of God is the only thing that can consistently stabilize the heart 
of his saints. There's something about knowing that God is God that changes everything. Now, some people may still be thinking, eh, I'm, I'm still kind of uncomfortable with this. Makes it sound like we're all a bunch of robots. Like everything is just this fatalistic, determined thing and, and we have no freedom. King David said this, Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. That sounds like a good taste test for us to have, right? Taste and see, test and see that the Lord is good. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to take the sovereignty of God for a serious test drive. And instead, in the, the moments when we're struggling and we feel like everything's falling apart, instead of first and most saying, God, what are you doing? Maybe let, let's just try what it means when we in that moment say, the Lord reigns and he is robed in majesty forever. It, it's a good test. <laughs> and, and it's pretty much exactly what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He, he woke up from his insanity. And, and what did he do? He looked, he locked and he lauded. He, he looked up to the sovereign God. He locked in to the sovereignty of God. And then he lauded, he, he praised the power of God's sovereignty. Praise God for the fact that he is sovereign. What would happen in our life if, if we started following that pattern? Look, we're, we're never always going to understand everything that God's doing. In fact, I promise you, in some of the hardest moments of life, what we're going to do is we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. We're, we're going to feel like, man, God, what are you doing here? But, but what would happen if even in our struggle, we still looked up? See, when we're confused, we can still look up. When we're frustrated, we can still look up. When we're devastated, we can still look up. We can look up, we can lock in to God's sovereignty and we can laud him, we can praise him and, and just watch what happens because here's the math. Here's how the math works according to everything we see from Genesis to Revelation. And, and even we can say in our own experience for those of us who've been following Jesus, what happens is this, this thing of wanting confidence of of wanting comfort of wanting some hope of wanting some strength of wanting freedom those come to us exactly in the way that we long for them to come by looking up at God it's the very sovereignty of God that begins to give us the freedom that we long for the most Warren Wiersbe said this no person is more free than the believer who surrenders to the sovereign will of God. Can I just say that goes against everything we believe as Americans and Westerners and humans. The word surrender is not in our vocabulary, but it needs to be because if it's not, we'll perish. There is no person that's more free than the person that surrenders to the sovereign will of God. That's why we read Corey Tim Boom. It's why we read Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's, it's why we listen to Christians whose lives have fallen apart and they still say, the Lord reigns. 
and they are set free. What kind of freedom? Christina Fox says this, because God is sovereign, we don't need to second guess everything we do. Hello, is it just me here? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm in a season of life. I need that kind of freedom because I'm second guessing everything. Man, I, I thought when my kids were out of the house, it got easier. No way. Oh my goodness, it's harder than it's ever been. I feel so much responsibility about their lives right now. I'm like, oh, I should have said this. I, I'm a huge second guesser, but you know what? I don't need to be if I start dialing into the sovereignty of God. Because if God is sovereign, I don't have to second guess every decision I make. That doesn't mean that you can just go do whatever you want to do. No, we still need to be obedient to Jesus. But we don't have to be second guessers because we can trust the Lord. But you know the freedom that we have in the sovereignty of God? It's more than just not second guessing. It's so much deeper, the freedom that we have. Because here's the thing. You know why we're not robots? You know why this is not some, you know, mechanic, fatalistic, you know, kingdom and there's, there's nothing we can do about it and there's, there's no freedom? You know, you know why none of that's true? I can tell you why none of that's true in one word. And that word's Jesus. We're not robots because of Jesus. We're, we're not in some, you know, wound up fatalistic clock because of Jesus. Carrie Seavey is a, a wife and mom. She lives out west in, in Washington State. And about nine years ago, she was writing about a season of life where she said her soul was just dark. You know, that, that darkness of night type of thing when, when the clouds will not lift. It's just dark and it's heavy. And she even said, and I couldn't even put my finger on why. But she said, I couldn't break free. So how did she break free? Well, she said she broke free through the sovereignty of God in Jesus Christ. This is what she said. At great cost to himself, Jesus volunteered to empty himself of heavenly glory. Out of love for us, he died the death we deserved. But then she talked about God the Father. Likewise, the Father didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He endured the ache of turning away from the son he'd eternally loved, so he'd never have to turn away from us. Anybody had that moment this week? That moment when you, you felt like that somebody was turning away from you? That, that moment when, when you felt like nobody was looking, that, that nobody cared about you, that nobody loved you? She went on to say this, when we feel like God is distant, indifferent, or uncaring toward us in our suffering, the cross stands as compelling evidence that he's not. If you ever think it's a robot, you ever think that it's some wound up mechanical clock, look to the cross of Jesus and you will see a personal God who personally has made a way for us to be saved and rescued and redeemed a way for us to be happy forever. Then Carrie said this, freshly seeing God as God, the suffering sovereign one 
is free me from fear to trust again. Freedom in the sovereignty of God. Freedom in that thing that we go, whoa, wait a minute, he's really in charge? Yeah, he's really in charge of every single molecule. There are no maverick molecules in the universe, and that creates freedom that we cannot even describe. Freedom, true, lasting, deep, loving, longing, exciting, fantastic, terrific freedom in and through the sovereignty of God. On March 13th, 1955, at three o'clock in the afternoon, a group of people gathered to officially constitute Holland Avenue Baptist Church. And you know what? The first thing they did was at that constitution gathering, the very first thing they did was sing a song. And you know what song they sang as this church was breathed into life? The name of the song was, I Love Thy kingdom Lord the kingdom that is everlasting from generation to generation to generation to generation the only kingdom whose dominion is forever and ever and ever as we celebrate the 68th anniversary of God's kindness to create this church for his glory let us keep being kingdom people. Let us be in a world full of bad together for good. And one of the best ways that we can be together for good is to be together for the sovereignty of God. That then when we are losing perspective, when we're losing direction, there is nothing greater that we can turn to than the sovereignty of God to give us purpose and give us destiny. To be together for the gospel in such a way that we have a holy, healthy, humble, happy embracing of the sovereignty of God, that we are together for God's sovereignty. Dear Christian, and, and, and maybe those that don't know Christ at all, the Lord reigns. That's what it takes.